Welcome to the Adult Learning Exchange Virtual Community Podcast. I'm Simone Conceição, owner of SCOC Consulting, the sponsor of Adult Learning Exchange Virtual Community. This episode is part of Conversations from the Front Porch, moderated by Dr. Leslie Cordy. All right, welcome. Welcome to Conversations from the Front Porch. I'm your host, Leslie Cordy. We're lucky to have with us today on the Front Porch, Dr. Becky Barlow and Dr. John Cush, both from Auburn University School of Forestry and Wildlife Sciences. Uh, Becky is an Alabama Cooperative Extension System Forestry Specialist and Professor lots of words, with the School of Forestry and Wildlife. Um, she's been involved in multiple projects and she teaches a, a variety of classes in the School of Forestry and Wildlife and has worked um, with the University Writing Center and was the Suge Jordan Professor of Writing, I believe if that's correct. Becky, you don't have that on your thing, but I thought we should mention that. And then we have Dr. John Cush. Um, he is recently retired lucky guy who also was with the School of Forestry and Wildlife and um, is a certified ecology specialist um, and has authored and co-authored uh, some chapters and books um, and was inducted into the Alabama Foresters Hall of Fame in 2017. So congratulations on that, Donna. You're one of the only ones that I know who's ever been inducted into a Hall of Fame. So <laughs> it's glad, I'm glad to know you. <laughs> this morning, or this afternoon, I should say, um, even though I feel like it's still the morning for me, we're gonna talk a little bit about um, some things that Becky and John have been working on and some of their passions, including um, uh, forest ecology and uh, their online program. So first, I guess I'll just open up uh, the conversation with you both about um, why we, why should we think about forest ecology or restoration ecology, as you ca call it, as an important topic for us to learn about. Who's going to jump in there first, me or you? You can go first, ahead. First off, it's a pleasure to be with you, Leslie. It is such a joy and always entertaining to be in your presence, even though this is long distance or via a camera. But uh, I think the importance of thinking about forest ecology and restoration is just sort of the state of where we are on this planet right now. Um, things are certainly in a state of flux in many different ways. I think people are interested in trying to sort of bring some sort of settling down to that. It's the idea of sort of getting back to, in many cases, quote unquote, where our roots are at is thinking about how we, you know, we essentially grew up probably in amongst trees. Um, so we really have been sort of part of forests for, since we've really sort of been a species. I think people are interested in trying to settle themselves and to learn about those topics of forest ecology and definitely restoration ecology because so much has happened to the planets and people are interested in trying to get it into a better shape than in many cases it currently is. Is that what that means, John, then, or Becky? Is that what restoration ecology means? Like, if we talk to the layperson, what would that mean to them, perhaps? Uh, it, yes, it means trying to, to go back or to get to some points of 
something that is different than what it is now. So it's a word that means a lot of different things. Uh, so it just depends on who you are. Part of it depends on what part of the country or world you're in, in terms of what that means. Um, here in the Southeast, a lot of restoration involves in bringing back the native forest of Longley Pine and thinking about a lot of the associated threatened native species. Um, if you're in the Great Plains states, uh, the northern part of the US, restoration there might mean bringing back prairie grasses. Um, so part of it is thinking about the system um, of what the plants, the forests were, but then also associated wildlife um, okay. with that. And so, um, you know, you never even get anybody to agree that restoration, this is what it means, and this is the end point when you have the same starting Right. Place. Yeah, there's probably some discussion about what, what you said, right, going back or how far to go back or things right. like that. But there is a discussion about what it was and what, what you'd like it to be again. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so why did you uh, both come up with this, this program, right? W what did you see in terms of the online restoration program? How did that come about? Oh, that, that's, uh, I'm so, going to be careful with, with what I say. Um, <laughs> It came about because one, we needed there needed to be a restoration type class offered at Auburn University. Um, there currently wasn't or there isn't one in the program really, and I mean it's a big topic out there, and we need to be getting get students to be thinking about that and the importance of it. And so that was sort of one of the drivers was to at least offer something potentially to students interested in it because. In other parts of the country in the world, it's, it's a huge topic. Okay. So, so there was a demand for it. Yep. There was a demand for it at other universities or uh, across the world in terms of, yeah. the, of the program. Okay. Becky, did you want to offer something up too? So I, I think too, um, Auburn was really trying to, and the School of Forestry and Wildlife Sciences was really trying to um, start an online program. We didn't have good um, online programming for and thinking about certificates. The School of Forestry and Wildlife Sciences at Auburn didn't have any certificate programs. And so we were trying to think of things that would be appealing to a wide variety of people um, as kind of our first one. And so you know, John and I talked about what we could possibly do that would have that wide appeal. And we, and we talked about some different things. We talked about agroforestry. Um, but ultimately, we, we settled on this one because we thought there, there is such a need and there is an interest. And um, so that's, yeah, so that's kind of how we, we came to this. And, and we felt that it also fit in nicely um, with some of the other, the, you know, the traditional forestry programs that we have and the wildlife programs that we have. And if students were wanting to, our initially, it was kind of funny too, our initial thought was that we would have professionals that either had wildlife or forestry degrees right. that would be saying, oh, you know, I really want to delve more into this topic, so I really want to um, look at it as a way to just kind of further myself in my career. Maybe they've been out and working for a few years and they're looking to kind of, you know, learn something new and as part of their continuing education programs. But what's been the most surprising to me is the fact that we have students from all walks of life and all backgrounds that 
are coming to this program. And I think it kind of comes back to what John was saying is that people are trying to reconnect with nature. Yep. I mean, we have people with degrees in history that are deciding, hey, you know, I want to take what I know from a history standpoint mm -hmm. and I'm really involved in the outdoors. I love the outdoors. And, you know, I want to take this and try to, to get more you know, natural resource-based education. Yeah. And kind of the, the, the most disappointing thing for me is the fact that a lot of students also come to this because it is online so they can do it from where they're, you know, take their current job or right. whatever and do it. But they want to, they want to totally change careers and they want to become natural resource managers. They want to become foresters. And I have to tell them, unfortunately, that with just these classes, that's not going to happen. And it's very, it's very disappointing to them. It's, it's hard for me to tell them that because they're so passionate. And that's what yeah. they want to do. Um, so that's I think- That's exciting. You know, that's really exciting. So let, let's talk about that, right? So it, it is a certificate program. So these are, so they, they do end up with a credential, which is very valuable that you, you all devised this, right? That it was a series, is it four or five classes that they take? Um, and it's 15 credit hours, so it's okay. five classes. Yeah. And they end up with this credential that in restoration ecology, but they don't end up necessarily with a degree that would qualify them perhaps for uh, some, some positions. But I'm wondering, and, and you could, I don't know if you can answer this and it's probably anecdotal. See, so you, you see the passion with these folks, right? and um, they want to maybe change careers. I'm wondering how this pandemic has also increased interest in the program. It picked up this summer um, in terms of the number of students that we have. It's by far the busiest semester in our whatever two and a half years of doing this now. Um, so it's, people have been there's a, at least a few people who have commented that, you know, things changed for them. They lost the position, job, they had some free time. So this is, they're looking into this to see if this is what they want to do. If they want to, you know, make a step forward to work on a master's degree or yeah. in some cases it's helping them get, um, being able to move up in a job that they currently have. Right. And I'm wondering though too, John, so that you, you've had some interest from people in other positions, like uh, Becky said, perhaps um, history and things like that. And I'm wondering, um, because a lot of us have been like forced to stay at home or stay away or shelter and sort of in place, right? And we're actually out there reconnecting with, with nature, right? Like we're, we're, we're spending more time out, outside, right? even just walking, I've seen more people ever before. So, and, and I've seen as a lay person, um, some reports, right, that because we had the shelter in place that the emissions went down and, right, there was a, a noticeable difference in terms oh, yeah. of air quality and things like that. Yep, no, for the people taking the restoration ecology class this semester is, living in Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And part of the classes, we have them go outside and spend some time looking, taking pictures, that sort of thing. And she sent a picture of the skyline from Las Vegas and it was clear as could be. 
Before and after, right? Before and after. It was, you know, her comment was that with nobody driving around in vehicles and less use of energy in homes and that sort of thing, that it has cleared up the air tremendously. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the specific classes that you teach in, in this program and perhaps um, what have been the challenges that maybe you have faced in teaching these classes and, and maybe if there's been a change in the way that you've taught them. So the classes are Restoration Ecology, which is a class everybody has to take. And we have a forest stand dynamics class, which um, is try to get people to think about how forests grow over time, um, how they move from the seed to large trees, and the dynamics that goes on there. And we have a fire ecology class, um, just because Ooh. fire is a major component in restoration ecology for many systems. Um, yeah. Think about especially the West Coast, an area that historically would have burned quite frequently. And they're continually dealing with, on a yearly basis, catastrophic fires. Right. Um, and then we have a Longley Pine Stand Dynamics class, ecology management class, partially because we're in the southeast and that is one of the driving forces of restoration here. Okay. I will let Becky mention the other classes. All right. We also have a forest history class. That's one. I encourage students to take, a lot of students don't think, you know, like forest history, what would that be about? But the forest history, we really don't just delve into forest history across the southeastern United States, but we start in the 1700s with the colonists and kind of what happened in the New England states and then move, follow kind of the movement of human settlement and what we have done to the forests across, you know, across the nation through time. And I always tell the students kind of in, in summary, you know, you could sum up the class in we never learn. You know, that's kind of the, <laughs> kind of the take home message of we never learn. So, um, so the course history class is, is a lot of fun. I really enjoy that one. We also have um, a couple of other classes um, that John and I aren't involved with. And we have a uh, human wildlife interactions class which is our wildlife class. It's uh, taught by Dr. Jim Armstrong. He's retired um, faculty, wildlife faculty with the School of Forestry and Wildlife Sciences. But we felt this was a really important class because anytime you're trying to do restoration work, a lot of times you're dealing with, of course, altered systems. And a lot of times you may be in right at that urban um, wildland interface. So you've got a lot of people trying to do things and you've got wildlife coming together in a, in a location or maybe you're trying to plant trees and you have deer come in and eat them all. You know, what, yeah. what do you do in trying to restore areas? So we felt like that was a really, a really important class to have. And then we also have um, a wetlands class, a wetlands restoration class. So that one, um, is taught by Dr. Jim Shepard. He's also faculty at the School of Forestry and Wildlife Sciences. And so that's another class that we have added more recently. Okay, so and you have you know, quite a few classes, but you only need to take five of them. Right, right. You mentioned, Leslie, you mentioned issues. Uh, one of the sort of the a big issue we have with this is a lot of online classes like to have 
sessions where everybody meets online and sort of like what we're doing here right now of a question and answer. Yeah. I mean, we face a situation, a lot of these people are working eight to five jobs. Um, we have a student in New York, have a student that's working salmon in Alaska. You try to say, you know, we're going to meet at this time. You know, trying to make those sorts of things happen is, is just... It's just not possible. Yeah. You don't want them taking time away from their work to try to fit in something, you know, since they aren't here at a university setting, this is something they're doing for their own benefit. It's, you know, it's not something that just can readily happen. So how have you created, uh, Becky, I guess you were going to add to that. Um, yeah, how have... Yeah. I was going to say one thing I'm going to try this year, which I haven't, haven't done, um, but I'm going to try is having the students in an effort to try and get some more interaction because that's something the students, some of the students have said, you know, it would be nice to have some sort of interaction just to see who else is out there, right? Because they feel like and sometimes they're kind of in a vacuum taking this class when, you know, there may be a dozen students in the class, but you never know, you, you never know it as a student. Correct. So, um, one thing I'm going to try and do is have the students for one of their homework assignments write. There's going to be a writing piece. Every In my classes, there's usually a, a writing piece, a reading writing assignment every week. And then if, so I'm going to have them upload their piece, and then they're going to have to, then maybe the following week, or maybe they have to upload it by, you know, midway through the week, and then the rest of the week they're going to have the opportunity to to look at other people's pieces that they've written and, and comment on those and, and have some, and they have to maybe say, okay, you have to look at at least two others and, and make some sort of comment or, you know, um, put your thoughts down about how they've addressed the problem differently or the same way that you did. So okay. that's, that's going to be something I'm going to try this year and, and see if it works. Oh, I know you can do it. So that's great. I know that you both are great educators. So it's wonderful that you're thinking about how to interact with these um, adult learners, right? Whether uh, in an asynchronous format that creates some engagement though, right? Because you say, as John said, it's very difficult with adult learners to manage their schedules. Plus you have adult learners that are in different time zones and different locations and things like that. So that's wonderful. So I think the reflective component, right, that you're building in will be a, a wonderful tool. Um, have you thought about, um, uh, you know, utilizing perhaps other tools because of this COVID-19 uh, situation? Well, one thing I think, one of the things we ask the students to do at the start of the, uh, in the restoration ecology class, at the start of their program, is we do have e-portfolios as part of that. So I think there's one, and, and John really takes the lead on that because he has the restoration ecology class, but I've talked to, there's some students that we have that are more local or that I talk to more often, and I think one of the Things that they've talked about doing is maybe trying to incorporate some videos or things like that into blog posts or things like that into their e-portfolios and we really want the students to try and build on that e-portfolio as they move through the, the classes and add to it and have it as a way then that 
you know, if they are looking for new job opportunities, they can showcase things that they've done. And one of the things we try to encourage the students too, because like John's classes and my classes have a project of some sort that the okay. students have to do. And we're pretty, and, and we'd really rather them not necessarily just do a, a research paper. Right. They could do something if they're interested in doing something creative or they're interested in going to a, a place that maybe that they work with or that, you know, that's near their home or even their own backyard in these cases where right. they can, can do some project or make some impact and then kind of record how that happens through time. Okay. You know, I think there's opportunities there. That's great. Yeah. It sounds like, um, not only are you trying to meet the adult learner where they're at, but you're building their skills in terms of um, technologies and applications. So like John said, he had the student, right, who was took the, the before and after pictures, right, in terms of what was happening in Las Vegas. And so um, it sounds like you're going to be perhaps sharing that with other students and you already build it into um, one of your courses with the ePortfolio, right, to, to develop their professionals. So talk to us a little bit more, uh, either one of you, about the ePortfolio. John, I guess maybe you're the one who has it in the in one of the seminal courses. Yes, and the ePortfolio e there is to try to get them, one, to think about restoration and what it means to them. And so we've, um, I guess, whatever, three years ago, we sort of developed an e-portfolio training session for the undergraduates here within the School of Forestry and Life Sciences. Okay. But we took what we developed from that class and turned it into an online format um, so that the students can look at it and then learn sort of basics and how to build one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been, it's been well received um, pretty much by everybody because um, some of them will carry it to the point where, I mean, they want it for a job, but then we have the professionals that already have a job, they're thinking of doing something different. And so for them, it's not quite as important, but what we try to get them to do is just think about what they're getting into and the restoration side of it and what they could potentially talk about themselves or about themselves that they're doing or what's important to them about restoration ecology or some part of the program for them. Mm. So that's cool. So you have these pictures and now you're thinking uh, they have perhaps building a reflective component in and you're probably already doing some of that, but also perhaps video, right, which can show. So that's, that's exciting for us as adult learners for me to think about some of my classes, right, in terms of how I can explore or how they can experience learning. And you all are well aware of that because that's what you do for a living, right? You have to touch and feel and do things and go experience the outside world. But for some of us, it's not as intuitive in terms of our, our curriculum. So that's great. But you also have this professional piece, right? In terms of this outward facing e-portfolio, which I think is great because uh, of many different reasons, right? Because we're communicating a message to the outside world and the student is, is learning about articulating what they've what they've experienced and how that can how, how it contributed to their development i think uh, go ahead back here um a moment to um you, we talked about the videos of wanting students to do videos but i think we sometimes forget we're at a university where we have access to 
all this wonderful technology. Mm -hmm. I've got a, I had a student last semester who had no internet for two weeks because they were in some remote location. Yeah. And so just having internet is one thing, but asking them to get a camera to do what we're doing here or to create a video. I mean, there are a lot of people out there, even in this country, that cannot do what we think everybody can do. Because That's right. Our situations. And so I think, I'm not sure that we as teachers at times take a step back and put ourselves in the shoes of our students to, you know, look at it from their perspective, what they can or can't do. Quite often we expect things of them that are going to be very difficult or nearly impossible for them to meet. Well, you know, I think I think that's really, really valuable what you just said, John. I, I know that we I get so excited about technologies and things like that, and we're able to do this and 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 we're able to do application, but then you're right. We need to step back and say, not all learners will have have this ability to do some of this stuff. And that that's a no whole nother podcast session, podcast. perhaps, in terms of right access and things like that but i do think it's important that you brought it up for many different reasons but one is to step back into the the students shoes and i know you guys are are you you all are uh passionate educators and have done wonderful things for our student population and are very learner centered right so there are different ways for students to accomplish tasks Right. And sometimes we just have to think outside the box, but it's, it is more difficult for us. Right. But, uh, we, you I can feel it from you both that you want these students, whatever their background to be involved. So, um, we'll work on the policy in terms of broadband access and in, in the, in the future and, and my fies, but I want to thank you for, for, um, opening up that door though, for that perhaps in the, in, in the future. Um, and and you let's talk a little bit more then about the COVID nineteen though. So the student had no access for two weeks. Right. Right. So um, you know, supposedly our university and other universities um, adapted to this very very quickly, and um, um, I'm I'm not sure that that really really happened. And I think that some of that'll come out in the wash in in the in the coming years. But I am hopeful that we're going to be better prepared in, in the years uh, to come with something like this. What, what else did you learn uh, about students during this pandemic? Did you make any other changes? I think one thing that helped us when we had to pivot very quickly to, to online, yeah. I mean, we essentially we were told, okay, before spring break or during spring break, be ready to possibly teach a class just to practice to see what might happen to we're switching everything to online and you've got a day <laughs> to figure it out. And so we were, but I think John and I were really in a pretty good situation. And, and John was teaching at the time, he was teaching fire class, which was a face-to-face, -face, you know, hands-on learning prescribed fire management class, yeah. um, which is very difficult to do online. It's very difficult to burn things online. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and I was teaching a, a natural resources sampling class, which is also, I mean, like you said, what we do is very hands-on in the field, very much experiential learning. 
Um, but I think we were lucky because we had done online work before and we understood, I think one of the big learning curves for a lot of people was, you know, how do you use the, just the software to record, a, to use Zoom or to use Canvas or Panopto or, you know, it depends on, you know, of course, wherever you are, what you end up right. were using, but we didn't have that learning curve. And we also had some experience of like, okay, how do you set it up and how do you um, set up with the grading? And some, you know, faculty members had never even used, like I said, Canvas to, right. to do grading with or anything. So that helped us be yeah. better prepared to be a little bit more flexible. Um, I think it also, another thing we learned that we have been doing is recording all our lectures mm -hmm. because as John mentioned, ours are, you know, asynchronous. But I think that's also helped us because I recorded my lectures for my class and I, and I kind of ran it in the spring semester like I run my online classes. And then that way it gave the students flexibility if they, because I did have students who didn't have good internet connection. And so I said, okay, you've got essentially a week to watch this video, get this done. Um, if you're having problems, let me know. You can have more time. And, and that happened. We had some students who just, like, I don't have good connectivity or some were bouncing around in different locations for various reasons. And so, you know, right. it, like you said, you have to be super flexible. Yeah, I think, I think that, that that's good. John? Yeah, that's, I think, one of the things we've done this semester in because of the COVID situation is giving students more time to get an assignment completed. Mm -hmm. They feel, normally the way we work is the assignment gets posted on Monday, it runs through the following Sunday, so they have a week to do it, but you've been getting them out there earlier, and it's, I think, helped you sort of ease the tension, and students are spending, having a little more time to put into it, because, you know, there are people who've got kids at home that they've got to take care of during the day, um, situations where they're working at different times, so it's, um, yeah. it's a it's, whole slew of things to have to manage um, on the back end, right? So, working at home, teaching at home, taking care of kids or other people, and just sort of managing managing this whole process, right? So that's good. I, I, um, I'm not so sure how good I am at that. So I think that's a great thing for me to be reminded about in terms of understanding that the students might need more time for processing, even, even though, um, we say it a lot, right? You know, because uh, deadlines are uh, deadlines are important um, for some reasons, but sometimes it, they can be forgiven, right? That's good. Um, what would you say about what would you would leave us with if you wanted us to sort of sum up some of these ideas that we've talked about today? Anything that we should consider? Um, coming for the fall or in the future, or perhaps about um, looking at the transformation of teaching labs online um, and what that might look like. I'm curious because like Becky had mentioned the restoration of uh, the fire, what did you call it? I can't remember Becky, the fire class, right? So how do we look at that? So I think 
from my perspective, because I have classes, well, John and I both have classes that are lecture. We co-teach a couple of classes that are mostly lecture, but one of them then has a field piece. And then I teach one of the forestry classes in the fall that is, it has a, a three-hour lab that goes with it. Okay. Um, field lab. And this is one of the early classes for students to learn how to do a lot of hands-on field work. This is some of their first experiences in doing that. So what, if everything goes as I think it's going to go, what I, what I hope to do is to do the class piece of it, um, record it, and have it out online. Um, one thing I've bought, which is pretty exciting, or, or John and I actually got, got it together, is uh, one of the tablets. It's not like an iPad tablet, but it's one of the writing tablets, so you can use it to write on. It's just like a black board kind of that's electronic and you write on it and then you yeah. can write on PowerPoints, you can write on Word documents. And so my class is very math heavy and I always okay. have historically written out math problems and worked through math problems with the class. So, um, you know, for C, being able to use that in my class to record my lectures, but still be able to give the students that experience of working through yeah. the, the problems together. And then, so having that part online, and then hopefully, if things go well, being able to have our field part, you know, being thoughtful about how we can can work, you know, socially distancing socially and work distancing. very safely and take everybody's safety into consideration. But hopefully, since it's going to be outside and with some precaution measures, we'll be able to to do some of that field work still. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm excited about that for you, John. Do you have any thoughts about? you'd like to add for that? Um, yeah. We got the, the social distancing is definitely going to have to play a role. And, you know, it is unfortunate that these classes that we teach, the best way to learn, as you know, is to experience it personally. Mm -hmm. um, trying to just video, trying to measure trees or how fire behaves. You know, you can watch lots of videos of it, but until you get out there and do the hands-on component to it, mm -hmm. um, it's just not the same. Um, yeah. so. But I, I like it that you're both thinking outside the box in terms of how you're going to meet the student where they're at and perhaps what you can do for them in, in the future. I think uh, that's a good lesson for us to, to leave the conversation out on in terms of what's going to happen uh, perhaps for fall for a lot of different um, uh, disciplines, especially in the science and things like that. And I encourage others to think like you in terms of meeting the student where they're at. Um, I've appreciated you both being with us this morning. This is Dr. Becky Barlow and Dr. John Cush from Auburn University School of Forestry and Wildlife Sciences. Thank you so much. Thanks, Leslie. Leslie. It was a lot of fun. All right, take care. We hope you enjoyed our podcast episode. Subscribe to the online forum. Click on the link in the podcast description to access the online forum. Thank you for listening to our podcast.